Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in a couple of areas of Scripture this afternoon. It's Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, as we can uh, walk through a chronological verse-by-verse of the seven sayings of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we're going to be finishing that up with the last saying today in Luke chapter 23 as well. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 31, want to put your finger there, and then as well we will be in Proverbs chapter 4. Once again, Luke 23, Psalm 31, Proverbs 4. Now while you're turning there, if you need a Bible, there's one in the seat back pocket in front of you. Um, I also want to let you know about Food Truck Thursday. It's this coming Thursday. Food Truck Thursdays, this coming Thursday, it is the last Thursday of every month, and it's an opportunity for you to eat here at church on your way home from work and then just enjoy a time of studying God's Word. And so we will have a multiple amount of food trucks that are available so we can eliminate some of the long lines. It was our first time last month, our second time this month, so we learned a little bit from last time. Um, So listen, some of you said, well, what if I can't come to Bible study? Well, at least stop by and eat with us. Um, We understand we've got to get those kiddos home and get them to bed for school or whatever it may be, and you can just watch us online. We just would love to gather the body together and get ready for the Last Supper with the Lamb of God so we can enjoy a pre-supper prior to that one. Amen? All right, Luke 23, Proverbs 31, uh, Psalm 31, I've done it every service. I have done it literally every service, Psalm 31 and Proverbs chapter 4. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just ask as we come to you in your word that we would be able to say as your son, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. These words are such an example for us. You've given us the opportunity to hear them and to repeat them ourselves when we feel just the depths of despair and the pangs of death surrounding us. And so, Lord, I pray that as we see your example today there on the cross, that as we pick up our cross daily and follow after you, that we as well would be able to say, Father, Into your hands, I commit my spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, I'm going to pick it up in verse 44. Luke's Gospel, 23, I'll pick it up in verse 44. Now, it was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So that's three hours of darkness. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. When Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. The writer of Hebrews would take this moment and tell us that we're to look to this moment. 
We're to look to this moment so we, like Jesus, can run our race with endurance, whatever that race may be, whatever obstacles may come. And if we look unto this moment in the life of Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured for a reason. For three hours, he endured the crucifixion, then the soldiers nailing him to that cross, and then he would endure the separation in the crucifixion when God would turn his back. The sun would be darkened, the earth would shake. He would lay on, he would hang on that cross for six hours, just like the six days of creation. He would work on that cross for our sakes, and now entering into the seventh hour, he's about to find rest. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, Jesus had fully satisfied the debt of man's sin, indicated by the veil being torn in two, and it was not torn from the bottom up. It was torn from the top down. God said, I'm tearing this veil. And God got rid of the separation that existed between himself and man through Jesus Christ. You see, the veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies in the temple. Behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. It represented the presence of God. And only the priest, one time a year, one priest would be able to go behind that veil. But God was letting the world know by ripping that veil from heaven, this miraculous moment was an act of God. He confirmed in his action that the debt was paid in full and now the way to God would be through Jesus Christ, not through a curtain. And just as the six days of creation, he looked at Jesus in this moment and said, it's good. When Jesus pronounced, it is finished, his father said, it is good. The price has been, been paid. Because of Jesus, everyone has access now to the Holy of Holies. The veil has been torn. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whenever you come. You could come at 11. You could come at 12. You could come at 3 a.m. in the morning. You have access to God no matter what time it is because of this moment. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the beauty of this moment, it doesn't even matter how you come. It doesn't matter how you dress or what you say. In fact, it's better when you just simply pour out your heart. It was in this moment before death, death, the last thing to be conquered, the last victory to be had, there was something that Jesus wanted everyone to hear. And so he cried out with a loud voice and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now church, I'm a pastor and I need to let you know I have been by the bedside of many people who are being ushered into the face and the presence of Jesus Christ. I've been at their bedsides. I have held their hands. The room, it's quiet. If anything, there are gentle whispers at this place of death where they whisper to their loved one, I love you. Maybe there's even a gasping for breath. In fact, there have been many rooms that are very, very serene, very peaceful, 
and actually beautiful in the lives of believers, just like Todd last week, who went from being absent from the body to being present with the Lord. But I need to let you know something. That moment of peace, it came with a great price because the antithesis of that moment is what we see here on the cross. There was no one that was wiping the brow of Jesus. There was no one that was singing songs to the Lord. In fact, my wife, One of the greatest ministries that I believe that she has, she will come into a room of someone that is just about to be ushered into the presence of God, and she will begin to sing them straight to Jesus. You feel like you're in heaven when she begins to sing. This moment that we hear Jesus pronouncing, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he cried out with a loud voice. It's quite a different venue than what we will see walking into a, a hospital room. I mean, I ask myself, where did this come from that he's able to cry out with a loud voice? He'd been beaten. He'd been bruised. He'd been battered. And now he's been hanging on this tree for six hours. How did he muster the strength to cry out loud enough for people to hear him and for someone to record what he actually said? I want you to understand what he overcame. The people were at the bottom of the cross mocking him. He had to overcome, like the Bible says in the book of Revelation, his voice is like a flood of many waters. He had to overcome that mocking. The soldiers were jeering him. He had to overcome so that someone could hear him because he wanted everyone to hear him. And then there was the criminal who cursed him all the way to his death while one on the other side was thanking him for being with, to be able to go to paradise. Yet with all that noise, his voice towered like a flood of many waters. And in his last moment of life, before he took his last breath, he cried out to his father with a loud voice, and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. How did you do this? Church, do you remember the sour wine? Do you remember the memory verse I gave you? Oh, I... Oh, look who can memorize scripture. I know it was a rough run. It was a two-worder, okay? But let's do it again. He said, I... Oh, great job, guys. You know the reference? Oh. This week you'll memorize. Next week I'll test. Listen. When he said, I thirst, at the base of every cross was a, a jar of sour wine. And I want you to remember that they shoved that sour wine into the mouth of Jesus, but I need you to, you need to know why. I want to remind you it was to prolong their death. The sour wine would just provide a jolt of energy for the moment that the criminal appeared to be fading. They would shove this sour wine into their mouth so that they would wake up and death would be prolonged just a little bit longer. It was designed to allow the hanging person on the cross to experience more pain and agony for the entertainment of the Roman soldiers that crucified them. They did not want them to slowly fade into the depths of darkness of death. They wanted them to feel it as long as they can. And so they would put this sour wine into their mouth, give them the jolt, just so pain could last a little bit longer. Yet Jesus... He did not refuse the sour wine. He took the sour wine and he grabbed the jolt 
And he redeemed its purpose not to prolong his pain and his agony, but to give him the energy and strength to give us these last words on the cross. And he used the sour wine to say with a loud voice so that everyone could hear, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He took the lemon of life that the soldiers were giving him and he turned it into lemonade. He used the jolt to glorify God despite the enemy's goal to simply prolong his pain. Jesus, he took that sour wine and redeemed it and he's asking us by example to do the same thing. We would do well to take the lemons of life that come our way and follow his example and turn them into lemonade for God's glory. God will allow lemons in our life because he wants us to use that moment to flip it around. Do you remember what the disciples were accused of? They were turning the world upside down. They were taking the lemons of life and they were making lemonade and the whole world knew about it and they were giving glory to God. But this would not be the only example that Jesus would set with that final moment on the cross before he breathed his last. He would say in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, Father, Father. You see, at the moment that he was crucified and raised up on that tree, he looked out at the crowd with the nails in his hands and in his feet, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And then after the three hours of hanging on that tree, darkness would begin to fall on the land and the earth would shake and Jesus would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But now three hours later, after this darkness, the price has been paid. The debt has been canceled. The cup has passed and the separation of him and his father is over. And because of his faithful obedience, The door is opened for sweet communion and he says, Father. He loudly proclaims, Father, I've done the work that you've given me to do. I glorified you on earth. I took the weight of the sin of the world on my back. You separated yourself from me for three hours, but now we are back in loving communion. And he said, Father, Father. His faithful obedience has opened the door for our sweet communion. This example of him on the cross is one for us to follow. That no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, no matter the experience, the veil of the temple has been ripped from top to bottom. And no matter what we're going through, we can follow the example of Jesus and cry out, Father, and he hears us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about our father. He hears that cry. He catches every tear. He promises never to leave or to forsake us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. He's for us. He's not against us. He's close to the brokenhearted. He is the God of all comfort, not the God of some comfort. And if you are in the place where Jesus was, the pangs of death, all you have to do is enjoy the communion and say, Father. Do you know what the word says? Draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. Calling out his name is beckoning him to come. Oh, 
From this moment, the apostle Paul, he would tell the church in Rome who was suffering, shall tribulation separate you from the love of God? No, not with our father. He would write in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, he, the father, who did not spare his own son, he's speaking about this moment, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? At the crying out of the name of the Father, do you realize what you have access to? All things. But this faithful practice of Jesus is something for us to follow. For it was not in this moment alone that Jesus cried out, Father. It was not a desperate attempt to have never have spoken that name before and now on the cross he's going to run to God. No, that was not the example of Jesus. You see, he spent a lifetime crying out to the Father. A lifetime. Don't you remember as a child? Don't you know? I'll be about my father's business. In Mark chapter 1, he went out early in the morning to pray and he was calling out to his Father to get direction. In fact, in the times that he would publicly pray, he would say, Our Father. He would even teach the disciples to say, Father. He referenced his Father as his loving witness. Do you remember when the Pharisees came against him? In John chapter 5, he said this, My Father loves me. Throughout the course of the three years of his ministry, in fact, the 33 years of his life, the Gospels are filled with Jesus speaking and referring to his Father. It's kind of like a drill. And let me say, if you have served in our armed forces, whether you are United States, Marine, Coast Guard, Army, Navy, Air Force, whatever it is, we as a church want to thank you for our service. But I, for your service. But I'll never forget when the Marine drill sergeant had to salute my brother at my brother's officer, officer candidate school graduation because that Marine sergeant drilled him to death. But now at his graduation, my brother was a higher rank. And so that Marine sergeant had to stand in front of my brother and salute him. And you could just see the smirk on my brother's face. It was powerful because that Marine drilled him and drilled him and drilled him and drilled him and drilled him. And And the reason why they are drilled is so that when they face the real enemy, they will default to what they know. And what they know will allow them to defeat the enemy. Jesus is doing that. Jesus, for a lifetime, had drilled himself of running to the Father in his moment, crying out to the Father for direction, whether it was in the midst of a despair or an enemy was against him or he was simply seeking guidance. He was constantly saying, Our Father, setting an example for us. It's not just in the dire moments of life that we cry out, Our Father. It's every moment of our life. Father, what college should I go to? Father, what jobs should I have? Father, what state should I live in? When your teenager looks at you and you've asked them to wash the dishes and they say, no, you go, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When your spouse, your wife, you come home from a hard day of work and your wife looks at you and says, why didn't you take out the garbage? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When your husband looks at you and you've bought a new dress and he says, well, can you take it back? 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When you go to work and they attack you because you believe in Jesus Christ, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He set an example for us that we can call on the name of the Father because the Father has torn the veil because of what Jesus did in this moment. He said, Father. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Let me tell you about Jesus. He died confidently. He died willfully. He died victoriously. There is no doubt in Jesus' mind that there is life after death. For he was in his dying moment and he says to God, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus was confident that to be absent from the body was going to be to be present with the Lord. And it's from this statement we've developed the afterlife theology. Even the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, he would say this, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There is no shadow of a doubt. Christian, you have absolute assurance that your spirit will be with the Lord when your body remains on the earth. In fact, the wisest man in the world, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, Solomon would say, then the dust will return to the earth. Your body will go back to where it came from, as it was. And the spirit will return to God who gave it. God is the giver of spirit, and our spirit will return to God. This is why, believer, listen, this is why the... Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, following the example of Jesus and having the assurance of faith, he said to the heavens with the face of an angel, receive my spirit. This is what Adonis experienced last week. Maybe some of you have experienced in the last few months, someone who's passing that is so confident that they're going to see Jesus, they say, receive my spirit. There is complete assurance, believer, no matter how the enemy may lie to you, that in one faithful moment when you take your last breath, we will be with the Lord and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me tell you something. He don't say, well done, good and successful servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and fruitful servant. And Calvary Chapel, South Bay, everyone goes to church here. He better say something. He better say, well done. I don't want to be standing with you at heaven's gates. And Jesus is trying to figure out, now what do I say to you? (laughs) He says, well done, good and faithful. Because each and every one of you, like Jesus, have been given a task to do. Jesus was dying on that cross. And I don't know what yours is, but our volunteer sheet is out there if you'd like to find out. Now listen. Each one of you have been called to a certain task, maybe a husband or a father, a wife or a mother. I don't know what your task is, but you are called to be faithful to it so that when you meet the Lord in the air, and you will if you believe, that he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But in this moment where Jesus cries out with a loud voice, you need to hear something. 
He is purposing to fulfill Scripture in his life. Still, at this moment, at his last breath, Scripture is in his heart. And Scripture is coming out of his mouth despite the anguish, despite the pain. The only thing he's relying on is the Holy Word of God. I want you to turn to Psalm 31 and... I know you have it in the New King James Version. I'm going to ask you to bear with me. I'm going to read the entire psalm. And I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Now, please don't judge me for using it. This translation is kind of like a commentary. It explains it in a modern language for us to be able to understand. Some of you use the ESV, and I call that the equally spiritual version to the, the New King James. Some of you are King James only. You love the shouldits and the wouldits and the shalls and the cantists and all of that. God bless you. God bless you. But Psalm chapter 31, we have to remember something. After the resurrection, Jesus would use the Psalms to explain everything about himself. And in this Psalm, I want you to hear what was going on in the heart of Jesus. I want you to understand that when he spoke this to the disciples after the resurrection, he would use this psalm to explain what he was walking through. And it would be in this anguish of anguish of heart that he would still be faithful to Scripture. Take a look at Psalm 31, verse 1. O oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap of my enemies set for me. For I find protection in you alone. Listen to the statement in verse 5. He will pull from this and say it at the cross, I entrust, I commit my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. Jesus goes on and he says uh, uh, through this psalmist in Psalm 31, I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I'll be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. Imagine Jesus explaining this to you after the resurrection as what he was walking with and what he was walking through. Bear with me now, verse 9. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. He died at 33 years old. Sin has drained my strength, and let me add, as it rested on his shoulders in those three dark hours, I'm wasting away from within. I'm scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I'm ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I've heard the many rumors about me, and I'm surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting in you, O Lord, verse 14, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. 
Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips, those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence, safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence, far from accusing tongues. Look now at verse 21. Praise the Lord. He has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. In panic, I cried out, I'm cut off from the Lord. But you heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. And now with this anguish that Jesus would present, the psalmist would use this to instruct us, his church. Love the Lord, all you godly ones. For the Lord protects those who are loyal to him, but he harshly punishes the arrogant. So be strong, church. Be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Do you hear where Jesus was at? And there in that moment, he would let Scripture come out of his mouth in Psalm 31, verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit with all of that that was going on. Church, it's why we memorize Scripture here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Because the Spirit will use Scripture to help us in our greatest time of need. I don't know how I thirst is going to make an impact in your life. But I know one day when your mouth is, is desperate for water and you are walking through your greatest trial, you will, by the Spirit of God, remember I thirst. And God will encourage your spirit and your heart with Scripture. When you're in your deepest and darkest moment, we're going to memorize, Father, for, uh, into your hands I commit my spirit so that you as well can guard your heart with Scripture in the same way that Jesus is setting an example for us out of Psalm chapter 31. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4 and prove this point to you that Scripture will guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up in verse 20. My son, now as I read this to you, I want you to hear God speaking to you as his child. Proverbs chapter 4, about his word. I'm going to pick it up in verse 20. My son, let me add, or my daughter. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, memorize them and meditate on them. For they are life to those who find them. And health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. Guard your heart. And the way, believer, Christian, that you can guard your heart is that you memorize and meditate on Scripture so that when you face your trial out of your mouth like Jesus, you call and you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You see, he set an example for us, but not only in this. You see, he wanted everyone else to know something very clear as he shouted with a loud voice and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This word commit 
It's the word dismissed. Jesus said, Father, I'm dismissing my spirit. You see, Jesus, he uniquely is the God-man. And this is a God-man only ability to give his spirit, to dismiss his spirit. Because at the giving of his spirit, he proved that he's God. No man can say, I give my spirit and we die the next breath. It's not possible. The only possibility is that the God-man who is able to give his spirit, he said, Father, into your hands I give my spirit. His body ceased and his, he took his last breath. This was a voluntary action on behalf of the God-man. It was initiated by him. It was initiated through him. And he would even tell the disciples that he was going to do it in John chapter 10. Take a look at the screen. Therefore, my Father loves me because I, the unique God-man, lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again because I'm the God-man, I add. This command I've received from my Father. He makes it very clear, no one has taken my life from me. I am giving my life as a ransom for many. Church, listen to the example that he sets. Because in our moments where the pangs of death seem to surround us, we as well, like the psalmist, can trust the Lord and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and I guarantee as you call on the name of the Father you will fulfill Psalm 31 and you will find strength and courage to face your day. Let me tell you church, he's your father. There is nothing that escapes his eye. He will show himself strong on your behalf. Commit your spirit to him and say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and you will find the truth of Proverbs chapter 4 that it will guard your heart. Now, Calvary, we've been at this for seven weeks. and Today is the last one. Seven weeks. Seven weeks we've been going through the seven sayings of Jesus. And now we find Jesus saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. He died. You have witnessed the cross through the historicity of what people recorded. I need to let you know something. You've got to make a decision. Last week I gave you a quote of Winston Spencer Churchill. I need to let you know something. I received not one email challenging my statement. No one emailed me and said, Winston Spencer Churchill didn't exist. He was never the prime minister of England. He never said that speech. Not one of you emailed me and said that I was not telling you the truth. You know why? It's recorded history. Winston Spencer Churchill died many years ago, but it's recorded in history. His speech is recorded in history. He said it very loud and very clear over the radio waves over England to motivate an entire country, and all of us believe it because it's recorded history. Why is it 
that we've gone seven weeks through the seven sayings of Jesus Christ, and I'll get an email that says, did he really say that? Was he really real? Is Jesus really God? Why would we doubt one recorded word and not, re- and not doubt another recorded word? I'm going to tell you why. The devil. I'm going to tell you why. The devil. Because Winston Spencer Churchill can't save you, and Jesus can. And so the enemy lies and deceives that the recorded word is not true. That's why we don't believe. He doesn't want to see anyone saved. So we doubt recorded history only of Jesus, but we would never do it of Winston Spencer Churchill. Think for a moment how ridiculous that is. And now, after seven sayings and seven weeks, you have to have a response. You can't hear the word of God and say, well, I don't know if Jesus was real and I've been coming with my friend and, you know, sometimes you make me laugh, sometimes I cry. It all feels great. Thanks, I appreciate that. No, 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 he demands a response. And what we're going to see here in Luke chapter 23 is the three responses and I pray that you will follow suit with one and not the other two. It's Luke chapter 23. Go back with me if you would. Luke chapter 23, I'll pick it up there in verse 47. Here's the first. So when the centurion, Luke 23, 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, in other words, he felt the earthquake and he saw the sun darkened. He glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. He's a good guy. And the whole crowd who came together to that sight, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. They just went back home. But all his acquaintances, now I need to stop here for just a minute, all his acquaintances. This word acquaintance means everyone he knew. It means the disciples. And I want you to see where they're at. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee, and I love the way that the Bible always gives credence to women, stood at a distance watching these things. There are three groups of people with three different types of response. And you get to choose today what kind of response you will have. You see, will you choose to be like the centurion? Oh, you'll give glory to God. Oh, Jesus, he was a great guy. You'll let it come out of your mouth, but nothing happens in your heart. You see, we see it every Christmas. All these popular singers who could care less about Jesus through the year. But they will sing away in a manger or hark the herald angels sing. They have no idea. They're giving glory to God. But their heart is nowhere near him. You could be like the centurion. You could be like the crowd. They beat their chest. They felt something happening in them just like the publican and the Pharisee. Do you remember there at the temple? The Pharisee was in prayer. I'm thankful I'm not like that tax collector. But the tax collector beat his chest in repentance. He felt the spirit moving in him. And he did something and repented. But this crowd... They beat their chest. They felt the Spirit moving. And let me tell you, it's not indigestion. It's the Spirit. It's not the taco. But you know what they did? They walked away. They just returned. They went back home. 
Some of you even now are feeling something in your spirit and you've got to make a decision. Are you going to be like the crowd and you feel something happening in your heart, but you're just going to walk away from the cross? And then there is buddies. All of his acquaintances. You see, we can choose to be like his friends who observed from a distance But when they were empowered by the Holy Spirit of God after the resurrection, they became a witness of his death, of his burial, and his resurrection. They were so unashamed of the gospel that they were willing to die for it. They were willing to go anywhere to do anything for the sake of the gospel. They may have stood back in the back afraid, but when the Spirit came upon them, they were witnesses unto Jesus Christ. You get to choose today who you'll be. Now, church, today we're going to take communion. We're going to remember the Lord. But I need to let you know something. If you're not a believer, don't take it. Now, some of you just felt a little awkward because you brought a friend and you're like, Chet, I told him the church was friendly. You just said we're going to take communion. Then you just said we, they can't take it. They're going to be really embarrassed. I mean, what are you excluding them? <gasps> They'll never come back. Now, you see, communion's not an exclusion at all. Communion's an invitation. You see, we, the church, take communion. Believers take communion because the Lord said, I want you to remember what I did for you. And we celebrate because he asked us to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And the reason why I said don't take communion, if you do and you're not a believer, you're actually bringing judgment on yourself. You are like the crowd that beat their chest, but you just walk away from the cross. You're like the centurion that will take the communion, but nothing happens in your heart. Some of you may have made some mistakes and you kind of backed away from Jesus like the disciples did on the cross. And they were there. They were just there at a distance. I'm a Christian, but I'm a closet Christian. Communion reminds you, come on home. I always leave the 99 to get the one. Communion's the opportunity to make it right with God. So while I say, don't take, I make the invitation. 20 people give their lives to the Lord in the second service and 15 in the first. And maybe it's your day to make your life right with God. Maybe it's your day to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Today a little different. I want us to pray. Christian, I want you to be in prayer. So Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and I commit this moment to you. And I pray as you are moving in the hearts of people that they would not walk away from the spirit who is beckoning them and beating their chest. They would not be like the centurion who just chose to glorify God with his mouth but did nothing in his heart. And if a believer who has walked in the shadows instead of choosing to be at the cross, empower them with your spirit even now. Jesus' name.
If today's your day to turn your life around, as Christians and believers are praying, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to humble myself and take a step of faith. I'm just lifting my hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, not today. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, Pastor, that's me. Christians, you be in prayer. Is there anyone in our 1230 service that would say, today I want to turn my life around? I see your hands in the back. Yeah, the three of you. Amen, I see you. Is there anyone else that says, today I'm turning my life around? I'm not going to be the centurion and just sing these songs and walk away from God. Is there anyone? Yes, I see you, brother. I see you, man. Is there one other person that would say, today I want to turn my life around? I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's going to be my words, and I'm going to say them loud, just like Jesus. And I want you to say it after me loud in your heart as if you've never meant anything more than this. Would you pray with me? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I believe in you, that you are the son of God who died for me and rose again. I want to turn my life around and give it to you today. I surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.